If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel, and this week, I'm excited for you to meet Emmett Shear, co-founder and CEO of Twitch, an interactive live streaming service for content spanning gaming, entertainment, sports, music, and more. Emmett is a serial entrepreneur who launched Twitch in 2011. The company was acquired by Amazon in 2014 for nearly a billion dollars. Today, at any given moment, more than two and a half million people come together from all over the globe to interact around this distinct form of entertainment that is created by shared interactions of millions. A pioneer in the creator economy, there are over 8 million creators sharing content on Twitch today. Prior to launching Twitch, Emmett co-founded live streaming service Justin.tv in 2007. He graduated from Yale University in 2005 with a degree in computer science. And with that, Let's welcome Emmett. Emmett, I'm so excited to have you here today. And again, I've heard such lovely things about you. I want to start with just the basics. What's Twitch in your own words? Twitch is a community, really. Twitch is a place people come together to share their passions. uh, And like at a mechanistic level, it's live video plus chat. But what Twitch really is a place where people can find their tribe, find their group of uh, online people they want to be connected to, and uh, and build connection and friendship and, uh, and community. Can you walk us through those early days when you started in 2007, Justin TV? And how did that early idea really spin off into what would become Twitch? Yeah, Justin TV started because uh, Justin and I were having conversations about uh, tech at the time. I think it was the perennial question for many years of uh, what should be done with Yahoo? What should be done with this with this property? And uh, we thought, this conversation is really interesting. I bet other people might want to listen to this. But we were too lazy to actually make a podcast at the time. So we had the idea we'd just record all of the audio live. And then that sort of turned into we'll record everything live. Um, And then Justin actually volunteered to do it. Um, And so we built something that was about allowing Justin to stream his life 24-7. And it turns out, of course, that's not the best uh, idea for content, uh, reality TV works because, <laughs> yeah, reality TV works because uh, it has editing and you take a week's worth of content and you cut it down to an hour's worth of interesting TV. Um, it turns out if you take a week's worth of content and cut it down to a week's worth of streaming, it's not interesting at all. We had to learn from that that it was all about creating more engaged, interactive content. And when we opened up what we'd built to other people, that's what they did with it, which is people in front of their computer mostly talking to the audience um, and then and streaming content as well, but but talking to the audience is a, was a big part of it. I want to go back to those kind of early days that you kept thinking you would hit a ceiling with users, but literally Twitch just keeps on growing. Mm-hmm. How did you think about early user acquisition? How did you approach that? The initial insight with Twitch was, what do I actually think Twitch 
Justin TV can be used for. And what I learned from that was the only thing that I really love on Justin TV was the video games. At the time, it was StarCraft II was out in beta. And it was the first time I would really loved my own product. And so I was watching a lot of Justin TV, a lot of StarCraft II on Justin TV. And I had the realization that there were only about 200 streamers in the world who were making any amount of video game content that people cared about. And all we had to do was go convince those 200 people, like it's not a very large number, that they should stream with Twitch instead of with uh, wherever they were streaming already. And we would effectively be the place to go get this kind of content. And since all these people who are streaming have big online presences uh, and people who follow them, by acquiring them, we also acquired their viewers. Like if we, if we went out and we got a streamer, they would post about it on social media. And that became the driving growth engine for us. Acquire a streamer that brings in their audience. Their audience then comes to Twitch, realizes, oh, wow, there's a bunch of other great content here and spreads out and watches that. And that makes it easier to acquire the next streamer. What have you learned that makes content successful? Maybe more specifically, what do you think the best creators on your platform have in common? So making great live content's very hard. You know, it's a mix of being a, uh, sort of like an improv comic, a skilled performer. Uh, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're good at playing video games. Maybe you're good at uh, music. A community leader, community moderator, sort of a, a preacher. Good at taking Q and A from an audience. Being a good friend to the people in your chat room and like listening to them and reflecting. And our best streamers work really hard, and they're good across a bunch of these skills. I'd say that the key thing is be interesting, entertaining, and interactive on a regular schedule for at least 20, 25 hours a week. That's like the key, the key to success on Twitch. Uh, because it turns out that for live video, it's obviously doesn't, not available when you're not live. The more hours you're live, the more options people have for when they might show up. And so the bigger potential audience you have. I mean, so it's very hard to produce one hour of live video a week and have that be successful. Uh, you need to be available enough. You overlap with other people's schedules. What was the hardest part of like, seeing this new category, creating this new category, what was the hardest part in, in, in the rearview mirror? Building live video at scale uh, with high quality that was not too expensive had never been done before. And we probably spent over half our engineering research time. We spent over half our operating income on just how do we scale live video? That turned out to be like way harder than it looked and was just a, you know, a huge challenge. I think it's one of the things that differentiated us from other people doing live video who didn't succeed was if we took on this very difficult challenge of building our own live video system, most of the time you don't want to go build your own in-house technology. It's a, it's a distraction. You want to be focused on your product. But if the existing stuff doesn't work, then you have to. And then, then it becomes a competitive advantage if, it's, if you really are breaking new ground. I would say that's definitely the, the hardest thing we did was, was build out a real sort of live video CDN for ourselves. What's the most obvious thing to you about where the creator economy is headed? Hmm. Just give us some of the nuggets that are in the back of your head that you just, you can start to see the inklings of. I mean, I think the the most obvious one is it's going to be a lot bigger. Um, We're still very early days on the creator economy because what the creator economy really is, is just the ability for creatives to reach their customer directly without having to go through some kind of studio system in between. It used to be that you know you're you're buying a product and you're it's not directly from the creator themselves. 
I would argue actually that the one industry that isn't true is in the book industry, where authors have been able to effectively, even if they're not self-publishing, have a direct relationship with the reader for a really long time, because writing a book has been for the longest time one of the very few things where a single person can really do it on their own. But now that's hitting video, it's hitting music, it's hitting you know, improv, it's hitting all kinds of other things. I would even include things like you know, Etsy with like crafts as part of the creator economy. I think that you know, 10 years from now, because it's going to be a lot bigger, um, I also think there's going to be an entire turnkey system that kind of replicates the existing studio system, but turns it inside out. So right now, as, a, as a, someone who wants to be a creator, you're kind of on the uh, pioneering edge. You have to be a small business owner at the same time in a pretty serious way. And will continue to be true. You're not really, unless you run your, yourself as a small business, you're not really a creator. But right now, the tool set to run your small business is still very hacked together. And so I think the biggest change you're going to see over the next 10 years is there will be better automation, better support, so that running your own small business becomes much more turnkey. And what else are you seeing in terms of new technology or platforms that creators still need? How do you think monetization will evolve? The biggest surprise in the creator economy monetization, which shocked us when we, when we discovered it in 2011, was the degree to which people who consume creators' content want to support them. That patronage, fundamentally, is such a universal and deep human need. And what's been really kind of awe-inspiring is the degree to which micro-patronage has scaled. And like streamers will tell you, they make this huge percentage of their income, usually the majority, from people voluntarily subscribing. And you can watch the stream without subscribing. You're not getting access to the content. What you're getting is a little slice of what being a patron of the arts is about, which is you're helping support this artist you appreciate, and they're grateful for it. And you also get the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing I did that. And you kind of get your name on like a little, the little plaque that says like, yeah, sponsored by. And that's so powerful. And I think that is the biggest single shift of the creator economy that's different. I think we're still in the early days of figuring out what it means to have micro patronage. And it works really well for like live video. You don't see it in music as much yet, but I don't think that's like an inevitability. I think that's like the music industry doesn't quite, we haven't figured out how to make it work yet. But at some point, you know, your favorite musician, you'll also support that way. Um, I think, I think it'll become a universal across the creator economy. The other thing that isn't scaled right now, but you see the early signs of is absolutely sponsorships, right? Like, because creators can endorse things in a way that is authentic because they are individuals and they tend to endorse things they actually personally like that it, that a, a studio system of some kind really just can't do because it's just, there's no person there endorsing it. It's not meaningful to you in the same way. And so there's lots of people taking cracks at this right now. I don't think anyone has succeeded yet, but some scaled way to connect brands, products with creators who authentically truly do like that product. There's no more effective salesperson for a product than someone who has a big audience and who truly does like that product. And I think that's actually going to be a really good thing for the world because anyone can go buy media advertising. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think media advertising is a key way you get to get the word out. But how much better is it to be buying a form of advertising that involves authentic endorsement where you, you can't buy it if you don't have people who actually really love the thing you're selling? 
Like that, that's a prereq to buying the ads. That's so good for the world to make it so that the products that get distribution are the, exactly the ones that have people who authentically love them. What is the product there that you see in your head? If I knew what it looked like exactly, I would go build it at Twitch because, because <laughs> it's like, uh, I think it's going to be a big deal. At some level, what it looks like is as a creator, uh, I can both get a flow of potential you know, products to endorse. It's not sifting through thousands of things I'm not interested in to find one thing. There's some set of like matching that makes sense. And then from a brand perspective, not only can you put out an offer, but also there's a way for creators to somehow, the brands they really love, reach out to the brand and say, hey, I, I really love your product. Would you be interested in sponsoring me? But where the brands it also don't get a bunch of irrelevant stuff that doesn't really make sense, where the people, who, the incoming stuff they're getting makes sense for them as a brand. And so I think something that helps solve that matching problem is the key, but it's a hard problem. Um, most of the matches aren't good and sorting through them to figure it out is hard. So someone will figure it out eventually. I'm quite confident, but uh, I don't quite know what it looks like. If I did, I would, I would co-build it. I mean, I want to transition a little bit to um, you just running, you know, Twitch here. You sold Twitch for nearly a billion dollars to Amazon in 2014 and have stayed on, which is so unique. And I'm going to come back to that in a second um, for for such a long time. But during COVID, you literally had one of you were one of these subset of companies that just like exploded during COVID. Your viewership went up 82 percent from March of 2020 to 2021. What was it like being at the sort of helm of something that was just like absolutely rapidly growing during massive global pandemic? It is fun to work on a product that is growing fast. It was a little weird at the time because it felt like uh, there was this feeling that the people who wanted to use Twitch at the time, I could tell were really, um, people felt a little trapped at home. There was a sense of like this real need to connect. Um, and I was both proud and also like concerned that people so desperately needed that opportunity at that moment. I was glad that Twitch was available to fulfill it, but like it was, it, you know, it, it feels a little bit like, uh, you know, maybe like putting out a fire, like it's, it's a little scary that their fire is there at all. It's good you're putting it out. It's a little scary that it's there. We saw, I remember uh, in January of that year, my friend sent me data from China showing how all of the uh, streaming services were going through the roof as coronavirus was taking off in China. And I remember sending an email to our video team being like, what would happen if we had to double traffic in two months? Um, but that's what we were, they were saying in China. And uh, uh, they were like, uh, mostly probably okay. A couple of things don't look so ready would probably break. And we made the decision to invest ahead of time in those things, which I'm really glad uh, my friend sent me the article about the, uh, uh, what was happening in China, because uh, I don't, we, we had to, we had to scale the service very, very quickly. And we'd, we'd gotten a eight week head start, which was pretty important to making that happen. I mean, the, we've done a good job making it self-scaling, but like knowing it was coming was a big deal. Um, as I mentioned, you sold your business back in 2014. It's almost, you know, call it, call it almost a decade that you stayed. I'd love to get a sense from you, like, what's driving that? Like, is it just Twitch is this thing you're so you're in love with? Like, it's so rare to see something so successful continue. And I would love to hear why. Amazon is particularly good at this. Amazon, is, you know, does not acquire that many companies that are running at scale 
And it's notable that the companies where it does hire those often retain CEOs for a decade plus. You know, IMDb retained its CEO for quite a while after after the acquisition. From that perspective, I'm less unusual. And now that I've been you know acquired by Amazon, I see why. Um, the reason why Amazon retains CEOs so long is that your job doesn't really change. I really have gotten, and I think I've talked to you know, friends with you know, you know, Don Katz at, at Audible, for example. We get to still run our companies the way that we were running them before, but instead of going to the private markets for funding, I had to go to you know, Amazon as my board. And that's a pretty good deal, actually. I like running a company. Like, that's why, why I started it. And I think the reason why CEOs often leave is they don't, they, it turns out they, they now have a divisional vice president job. They don't have a CEO job. And they don't really want a divisional vice president job. They want a CEO job. And Amazon retains CEOs by giving you, like letting you keep your job and the freedom and, and uh, direction. And I think, I think it's absolutely the right trade-off for Amazon and for the, for the CEO. I wish, I, would, I wish more companies took that attitude. Don't get me wrong. I, I, also, I guess it wouldn't work if I didn't also love working on Twitch. But I think most founders, especially if their company has been somewhat successful, really like working on their company. You're not in a hurry you're not in a hurry to leave working on this successful thing you've built from the ground up that you get to keep running as a CEO. You leave either because something really grabs you that you just have to go do. You're, you're, you're called by this thing that you really want to go do or because something changes and you don't like your job anymore. I don't think there's any reason an acquisition is a good reason. doesn't need to be a reason you should leave any more than going public should be a reason that you leave. In theory, you're just changing who your supplier is. I think a lot of acquirers screw that up, to be honest, but it's been fun. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. I want to transition a little bit to you. So, you know, I, you grew up in Seattle and I always love to ask, you know, you're obviously such a bright guy. You went to Yale in, uh, you know, 2005 and is there something, if you go back to your childhood, that you think you attribute to kind of making you unique and this outlier? It's funny because I grew up three blocks away from Justin in Seattle. We met each other when we were eight. We went to elementary school together. We went to middle school together. We didn't talk for most of high school because it was a tiny elementary school, middle school experience. And like no one from that middle school could stand to talk to anyone else from that middle school for at least three years. But we reunited senior year of high school and, uh, and then went to college together. I think that friendship, obviously, very influential uh, for both of us. Having someone who you've known for a really long time, who's also ambitious and who also, you know, is willing to take some big risks with you, led us to starting our first company together, led us to starting our second company together. I think that's an influential piece. I would say I come from a, you know, a family of entrepreneurs. My grandfather on both sides, my, my grandfather on my mom's side was more of a political entrepreneur, um, but he also ran his own business. My grandfather on my dad's side ran a, uh, a fundo, fundo is a knockoff Play-Doh, a fundo factory and built children's toys and had a department store, family, a family had a department store for a while that wound up getting bought out, I think at some point. And my dad was a lawyer and I, you know, I grew up middle-class. Uh, my dad was not a corporate lawyer. He had his own, his solo practice, but that's a solo practice lawyer is a, at some level, an entrepreneur. And so I think I had that, 
that example my whole life of entrepreneurship. And I would say that, you know, that's why I went starting a company. Maybe it's not that I felt like I had to go do it, but it certainly felt like a very real option, um, a very real life option. And I would also say that I'm grateful to both my mom and dad for being, I got a lot of education directly from them. Walking the line between making it clear to me that I had the potential opportunity to work really hard and be successful. And if I wasn't getting an A or whatever, it's because I was choosing not to. But that's also at the same time, not making it some like you can't fail. Like they were, they were very open to the idea that failure was okay. Like I got the message my whole life. You, trying things that are risky and failing is okay. We're not going to think poorly of you for that. So I mean, I, I guess I'm grateful for my upbringing um, as well as the, the luck of having you know, friends who are entrepreneurial. One of the things I love that you've said before is you've said no one is a natural born leader. That leadership is one of the most difficult skill sets that you can really actually learn. How have you learned it? Anything that you feel like has helped you get much better on your own leadership journey? I think I'm sure to do the right thing once I've tried everything else. You know, it's a saying about America. You can always rely on America to do the right thing after they've tried literally every other option. And I feel that's sort of the approach I've taken to learning leadership. I mean, it's been hard. Like when I started, I was a very good programmer, but I was not a good leader. And I took it seriously as a skill. I read a lot of books. I went to workshops. I got a coach. I thought about it. I did 360s. I practiced. I solicited feedback. I cared about improving. I think I've gotten to be a much better leader. And I can, I constantly work with people where I see how they have a leadership skill. Because leadership isn't just one skill. It's this whole portfolio of skills. And I constantly meet people. I'm like, wow, they are way better at that piece of leadership. And I try to learn from what, how they do that better. I really think one of the cool things about leadership as a skill is it is a lifelong pursuit. I think like writing, you can keep getting better at writing for your whole life. You can keep getting better at leadership your whole life. It's not like you peak at some point and like, it's like, like athletics, you're not going to get better at basketball your whole life. At some point you're going to get worse at basketball and you're lucky if that's when you're 40 and not when you're 30. It's an ongoing grind in a positive way. You are still so motivated for Twitch. What's keeping you motivated? What's driving that, do you think? The thing that I care about the most is bringing people together into community, helping connect people, helping fight loneliness. Uh, that's almost certainly right. Like there's some deep childhood wound there or something, right? Like I, I, I think as a kid, I struggled to make friends when I was younger. Friends is not quite right. I had friends. I didn't have community. I had, I had individual friends, but I didn't have a sense of being part of a group larger than myself. And I found that as I've gotten older, I have a very strong, great community now that I feel very honored to be part of. But I think I still remember how difficult it is not to have that. And I believe for human society broadly, that's one of our biggest challenges over the next 200 years, 300 years, because technology is a two-edged sword. It makes us more powerful, which is great, more powerful as individuals, but that makes us less dependent on each other. And being less interdependent sabotages community because interdependence is the one of the major things that drives community is that you you don't have any choice you need the other people and so you get brought together with them out of that need and so i think it is a both it's something that's very personally meaningful for me but then i also it aligns with a belief that it's very globally important for society and so i care to work on that and twitch as a product i think that having come just come off of a twitchcon in person it's obvious that you know, connecting people in person is amazing. Uh, and I wish we could do more of that. We are working on, on doing more of that. But connecting people online is a first step in that direction. 
Uh, and so that's a good first step. It's something worth investing in, worth scaling. I'm hoping through things like TwitchCon and as we expand, we have increased our ability to expand our, you know, the in-person stuff, we can start to bring people together into stronger and tighter communities in person and other ways as well. I mean, that was so beautiful. And I'm so happy that I actually just got to hear you say that um, because what a powerful motivation and also what a what a good reason to get out of bed every day. I want to ask a quick fire round. First thing that comes to your mind, just answer. Um, and I'm going to keep it fast, but just literally first thing, a book that's changed your life. Uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I love it. Um, your favorite interview question to really understand if you really want to get, you, you want to work with somebody. What have you learned recently that you found surprising or uh, altered your, you know, your understanding of how the world works? I want to fast forward two years. How many days a week do people go into offices? Two years from today. Media might be up slightly, but uh, they'll, we've sorted ourselves into companies that are more five days a week and companies that are more one or two days a week and fewer companies are in the, in the middle anymore. Fast forward, other than Twitch, one area of innovation that you've gotten pretty excited about, it can be anything, but another area that has piqued your interest. Yeah, I mean, large language models for AI are it's obviously like completely game changing. It's it. I mean, it's hard to predict. Technology is very hard to predict, but it seems like as approximately as big of a deal as the smartphone to me. If you've seen like Dolly and the the that just came out of beta, where you can you know the make type in descriptions and get it to do images for you that look very much like this description. It's kind of incredible, but like that's going to be massive. That's just the start. That's awesome. Um. Emmett, first of all, thank you so much for joining us here today. Everybody out there, if you want to learn more about Twitch, head to twitch.tv. And you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alex Vonto. Well, Emmett, we're rooting for you. You're such a great human on every level. This has been so fun. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's fun. 